Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. The Bible in Life podcast is part of an overall online teaching ministry just called the Bible in Life that includes this podcast, as well as the listener's commentary on the New Testament, which is a podcast where I, I just study in detail through books of the Bible piece by piece. And so you could check that out by searching for the listener's commentary in your podcast app, or you can go to listenerscommentary.com. I also have some online courses and other resources available on both my websites, including a free ebook that just will give you guidance on how to hear the Bible well, as well as how to heed the Bible well. That is how to understand it and put it into practice in your life. That free ebook is called Bible and Life. It's available on the homepage at both johnwhitaker.net as well as listenerscommentary.com. So feel free to check that out if that sounds useful to you and sign up for that. All you got to do is put in your name and email address and it's uh, get instant access to it from there. And while I'm noting that, I should note that this whole ministry, both this podcast, the listener's commentary, and a number of the other free resources on the website, it's all made possible by the generosity of folks who give $5 a month, $20 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month. Um, that Their generosity is what enables this ministry to exist. And so from the bottom of my heart, thanks a ton to those of you who make this ministry possible. And if you've been blessed or impacted by this ministry, want to join the team of supporters, uh, the easiest way to do that is just to go to johnwhitaker.net, click the Give button. It'll take you to a place where you can um, set up a one-time or a monthly donation through World Family Mission, and all those donations are tax-deductible. All right, last week on the podcast, I just shared... Um, like sometimes reading the Bible is challenging and difficult and hard, and sometimes it feels kind of blah, and sometimes we read a chapter and we don't really get anything out of it. And that's just simply by nature of the fact of what the Bible is and who we are, and sometimes we don't understand. And so I thought I would follow that up on this episode with a just brief overview of really how to read the Bible well. So I've got that free book that'll give more details. I've got an entire online course. It's a several hour course called Bible Study Skills that'll go into a lot of detail. But here I just thought I would, I would give a bit of an overview of the process of reading the Bible well. But I want to do that in a way that emphasizes where Bible study method fits into our entire engagement with the Bible. Because the fact is, the Bible wasn't given to us primarily and fundamentally for us to understand. It wasn't given for us to study it and break it apart and do word studies and all that sort of stuff. That's actually all sort of like a first step, a preliminary step in our relationship with the Bible. Uh, the ultimate aim of the Bible goes beyond that to actually engaging with God through the text of Scripture. And so uh, the primary thing is not for us to, uh, you know, examine the text of Scripture. The primary thing is for God to examine us through the text of Scripture and for us to engage with God through the text of Scripture. But before we can do that, we have to properly hear the text. We have to properly understand the text. And so, as I noted last week on the ep episode about what do we do when our Bible reading is blah, like, if you're reading through a passage like I was, and it's like, 
I barely even understand what's going on here and what we're getting at. It's going to be really hard for you to actually have that text speak any word from God to you. It's going to be really hard for uh, you to have any engagement with God from that text. And so, first, we need to make sure we hear the text well and we understand it. How do we do that? Well, the very common method of Explaining that is what's called inductive Bible study. Inductive Bible study is a method of trying to read the text in a way that the meaning of the text, um, we, we draw it out of the text. We draw the original meaning out of the text. And that's important because a passage of Scripture cannot mean to us today something other than it meant to the original audience. When we're reading the Bible... We are, if we're reading, say, Ephesians or Galatians, we're reading somebody else's mail. If we're reading, as I noted last week, Isaiah, we're reading communication between Isaiah and the people living in Judah in 700 BC, right? And so there's an original intent, there's an original meeting that was trying to be communicated from the original author to the original audience. And we want to try to grasp that original meaning, and then from there, we can figure out what do we do with it in our own context. And so inductive Bible study is a method that just provides a framework for how to do that well. How do you draw out the original meaning of the text? And inductive Bible study has essentially three parts, uh, observation, interpretation, and then application. Observation really asks the question, what do I see? As I read this text, what do I see? Interpretation asks the question, what does it mean? And then application is, how do I, or how do we, as God's people today, respond to the text? So, observation, interpretation, application. Let me just offer a bit of an example and then maybe we'll try to explain the parts a little bit more in detail. And so take, for example, Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, which in a lot of ways is really the heart and soul foundation of this whole podcast, Bible and Life, because I love the imagery in Psalm 1. But if you don't understand it, it's not going to have much impact for you. So Psalm 1 says, How blessed is the person, how blessed is the man, who does not walk in the way of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and everything he does he prospers. And then it goes on to say, Not so the wicked, um, for they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the assembly of the righteous, nor sinners in the judgment. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Psalm 1. Now, there's plenty of things as you read through that that are like, okay, what's going on there? So we start with observation. What do I see? So as you read through the text uh, in inductive Bible study, you just make observations about the text, about the passage. You begin to ask some questions of it, and like, what does that mean? And what is that about? And why does he say that? And where is that? Right? And we begin to get a sense of what's going on. And so, how blessed is the man? You could ask the question, in what sense? What does it mean to be blessed? What is he getting at? Or when he says, uh, everything he does prospers. Well, prospers how? 
Like, does that mean we're going to get wealthy and rich and we're going to have a large bank account? Or does prosper mean something else? What does the word prosper mean? When it talks about meditate, what does it mean to meditate? How do you meditate? Uh, on his law, he meditates day and night. What does that mean? Does it mean day and night? Does that mean all day long and all night long? What about my job? And what about, uh, you know, all my interactions with my family? So what does it mean to meditate? And what does it mean to meditate day and night? Or when it says that the wicked are like chaff, what is chaff? Why does the wind drive it away? And so in observation, what we're doing is we're reading the text with a curious mind and we're asking good questions of the text. Some of those questions we might ask under observation are things like, well, how is this connected to that? Like, what's the relationship between this part of the passage or that part of the passage? Or what's the relationship between this action and that action? How are things connected? Or what are things that are unfamiliar, like chaff and wind? That might be a little unfamiliar in your context or my context. So what's, what's, what are some unfamiliar things? Or meditate, like I kind of know about Eastern-style transcendental meditation, but I don't think that's what that's getting at here. So what does meditate mean, right? It's maybe a little unfamiliar. Or look at things that might be repeated. Are there ideas or themes that are repeated and emphasized? So as we ask those kind of questions, or we can ask the standard journalistic questions, who, what, where, when, why, like as we ask those questions with a curious mind, all of a sudden things begin, we see the text more fully and more completely. And so that's where Bible study begins. It begins with observation of the psalm. And, and then once we make some observations, now we begin to go back and do some research and study and try to understand the answers to our questions and then understand how that shapes the meaning of the entire text. In our case, Psalm 1. And so observations first and then interpretation. What does it mean? So as you look back through that, well, we learn, for example, that um, to meditate is this idea of to ruminate on something. Uh, it's to murmur it in the original Hebrew is the idea of the word. It, it was the idea of to kind of be under your breath, murmuring the word all the time. And so you'd be going about just kind of uh, thinking about it throughout the day as you went about your activity and as if you're working in your carpenter shop or you're uh, out there on, you know, in your fishing boat and casting your net, you could be murmuring the word and thinking about the word and chewing it up and all that. That's the picture of meditate. Well, that brings that to life. I now know a little bit more what meditate means. What about the idea of prosper? What kind of prosper does it mean? Well, when we read it in context, Prosper there is the culmination of this imagery about a tree. Notice he's, it says, he shall be like a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water. Well, wait a second, streams of water. And notice it's planted there. Didn't get there accidentally. So it's intentionally there next to these streams. And this tree bears its fruit every season that it's supposed to. And it's all leafed out and lush and beautiful. In other words, this tree is a fully functioning good tree that's bearing good fruit. 
That's the idea of prosper. Oh, so prosper has more to do with human flourishing and human well-being than with my bank account. My life will flourish. I'll be a good human being who pr produces good fruit if I'm planted next to the streams of God's word by meditating on them. Oh, now I'm beginning to get a sense of how this works. So when it says I'm blessed, that's what it's talking about. I'm blessed in the sense that my, my life is flourishing as a human being. I'm beginning to understand how I'm supposed to function as a human being. And that's because I'm planted there. And the wicked, not so. Instead of being like a flourishing tree, they're like chaff. What's chaff? Well, as we do the research on chaff, we learn that's the outer husk on the kernel from, say, wheat or barley. And uh, in Israel, those were two common crops. And you would take a big, heavy wooden platform with little iron knobbies on the bottom, and you would, uh, you know, your animal would kind of drag that over your your. Uh, grain, your harvest, to break and crack that husk around the kernel. Then you take a big wooden fork and you throw it in the air and then the wind would blow off the uh, the husk and what would be left would be the good kernel, the good grain. And so the husk is this useless shell that has no life and no nutritional value in it. And he says that's what the wicked are like. They're like that. Uh, as opposed to being like a flourishing tree. Okay, now I see how those two images are connected and why it's stated the way it does. And then I see the outcome of both of these. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so as I research the whole psalm, what I discover is, well, what does this mean? And I have a bunch of little details as to what this means, and I understand the psalm more fully, more completely. One of the really important things is that is to try to pull all that together into a main point. And you can do that with a question and an answer. So the question is the topic of the psalm. The answer is what it's saying about that topic. So in this case, Psalm 1, if we were to really meditate on it, chew it up, read it through until we could really see what the psalm was about, what we would learn is the psalm really is answering this question. What are, uh, what's, what are the outcomes between a righteous life and a wicked life? The outcomes are that a righteous life is known by God and flourishes, and a wicked life perishes. And that's what the psalm is about. And now we have a sense of Psalm 1 and what it's about. And so from there, then, we can move into application. How do I respond to that? Well... Uh, we can we could respond by thanking God for the gratitude, you know, just with gratitude for the fact that um, in His mercy we have come to be known by Him, and we've come to know Him in Christ, and we've been given the gift of salvation, and we're learning the way of righteousness. And I'm grateful for that. We could respond to it uh, by saying, "Man, I want my life to be planted by streams of water." So. I am going to delight in God's Word. I'm going to root myself in it. I'm going to meditate upon it. I'm going to learn to, to think it through and talk, talk about it to myself throughout the day. I'm going to memorize it, just make it a part of my life. That's how I'm going to respond to that, right? And, and so these are ways we respond. And that, in a nutshell, is the process of inductive Bible study. It's observe, interpret, apply. And so to observe, we, we want to look at the text well. We want to see it well. We do that by asking lots of questions 
about the text. That's observation. We're just curious and we're reading it and we're maybe reading it out loud and we're reading it multiple times and we're just beginning to notice how things are connected. We're beginning to mark words that are unfamiliar we want to research or concepts that we don't understand. We're just asking questions and, and jotting down what we see. Observation. And then from there we move to interpretation and we're wrestling with meaning. And so the key thing with interpretation is we want to understand the original context both the historical context, which has to do with the original situation and the original setting, as well as the cultural background. Okay, so what was the significance of chaff? And we talked about that and how it played out in their world, cultural background. So we want to look at the historical context and we want to look at the literary context. How does this fit? So if we're reading, say, for example, Romans, how does this paragraph relate to the paragraphs before it and after it? Literary context. If we're reading a gospel where you get sort of like a, a patchwork quilt of snapshots, how do all those fit together and what's the relationship between them? Literary context. And so in interpretation, we're wrestling with context, historical context literary context. And we're also wrestling with the meaning of words. What do certain words mean? Meditate. What does that mean? Oh, that's this idea of kind of ruminating and uh, murmuring on something. Words. Sometimes we're wrestling with genre, right? We need to make sure we're not reading uh, ancient Near Eastern law codes, such as we find in Exodus, in the same way we read um, New Testament letters or history, the same way we read poetry and all that. We have lots of different types of literature in the Bible. So we got to make sure, oh, poetry uses lots of figures of speech. We've got to respect that. Or if we're reading Revelation, apocalyptic literature, whole unique kind of genre, right? So interpretation, we're, we're taking all of this into consideration so that we can understand the text. And our goal in understanding is to be able to try to pull all that together and state what the text is about in a sentence or two, the main point. So observation, what do I see? Interpretation, what does it mean? And, and we know we're done with interpretation when we can state it as a main point. And then finally, application. How do we respond? And some of the things that will help guide our, our reflections on how do I respond is the original response. How are the original readers, the original audience, supposed to respond to this text? What was it driving them to do? What was its purpose for the original audience? How are we similar to the original audience? And how are we different from the original audience? And then... After thinking about all that, then we can say, so what's my response? What's our response collectively as the people of God today? And that is how we do Bible study. But as I noted at the outset, that's preliminary. Even though that's a lot of work, that's preliminary. Because once we have that, our goal then is to go back and read the text again, this time meditatively and prayerfully, and engage with God in the text. And so next week, I'll talk a little bit more about how we can do that component, the, the real ultimate aim of our Bible reading, which is to engage with God through the reading of the text. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I pray you have a wonderful week in Christ. You walk with Jesus. You plant yourself deeply, root yourself deeply in the Word of God that you can become like Jesus from the inside out. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking with you again next week.